See, the lion, we can attack and take down the hyenas that have been stealing our liberties. We can take back the territory that's been stolen from us. Welcome to the Lions of Liberty podcast. Here is your host, your guide, your shining beacon of liberty, Mark Claire. Welcome back, Liberty Lucifers to the Lions of Liberty podcast, your home for great conversations about the ideas of liberty. This is the 216th episode of this program, which means that you can find the show notes today featuring links to everything we discuss over at lionsofliberty.com slash 216. Today's show is sponsored by Health Excellence Select. If you are fed up with dealing with your Obamacare mandates and your health insurance, I implore you, my friends, to look into Health Excellence Select. You can do so by heading over to lionsofliberty.com slash health. My guest today is the former chairman of the Libertarian Party of Washington State. He is a political strategist and consultant who works directly with libertarian candidates through his organization, Libertarian Leadership. He is also the author of the book by the same name. And this guy is a real lion of liberty. He is the libertarian lion himself. Michael Pickens, are you ready to roar? Man, I was born ready. Roar! All right. Let's do this. I mentioned that you're the libertarian lion right there. And before we even get into what you're all about and the work you're doing with libertarian candidates, I want to talk about why you are the libertarian lion. Because you actually have, we have a lot of synergy going on here. So tell everybody where that nickname comes from. And maybe you might want to mention your tattoo. Yeah, so back in 2011 when I got involved with the Libertarian Party, you know, they had the porcupine and I just felt that the porcupine just didn't represent me. You know, the porcupine, it's a defensive animal, right? It's got those spikes on it, but I just felt that I needed hey, something leave me alone. else. It's not really scary. It's just like, ah, oh, stay away. See, the lion, we can attack and take down the hyenas that have been stealing our liberties. We can take back the territory that's been stolen from us. I'm more of an offensive person. I go into city council meetings and state legislators. Shit, I was just kicked out of the Colorado state legislature a month and a half ago when I was testifying on a bill. Right? I challenge these guys every step of the way. They don't like it, but we have to do it. I love it. I love that attitude. And that's the same attitude that we take here at Lions of Liberty towards addressing ideas and towards challenging dogma. And you're doing the same thing directly in the political arena. So well, we're going to talk more about the work you're doing in that arena in a little bit. But I, I want to kind of get to know you a little bit better, Mike, and, and know where you're coming from. So why don't you just kind of tell everybody out there, before you even got involved with libertarianism, libertarian politics, how did you first get, I guess, kind of politically aware? And how did your political beliefs evolve to the point of, of supporting libertarianism and the Libertarian Party? I remember the exact moment when I learned about it. It was 2007. It was the first Fox News presidential debate. And there was a guy on stage by the name of Ron Paul who said that the terrorists don't hate us because we're free and prosperous. They hate us because we've been over there since 1953 meddling in their business. And I said, what? What is this? And I just listened to it. And I started YouTubing, watching a bunch of his videos. And I just got sucked into it. So I became a huge Ron Paul supporter, huge Ron Paul fan in the Central Valley in California, and that's how I got started. Now, he didn't get the nomination, and I kind of dipped out, right? I got discouraged, and for three years, I just focused on business, on my property management companies, and then in 2011, I decided to get back in, and I showed up at a Libertarian Party of California convention. I was really disgusted by how that convention was being ran, so I decided to run for state party chairman. My background was 
you know, I was on the board of a chamber of commerce. I was a president of a business networking international chapter. I was a business owner. I went out into the community. And when I went to that convention, I was very discouraged and said, you know what? I'll run for chair. I don't know what the job entails, but I'm sure I can figure it out. Figured everything out so far. So I ran and I lost, but I did win Northern Vice Chairman. So that was my start into the Libertarian Party. No idea what I was doing. I just had this attitude that I can learn whatever I needed to learn. We have Google, we have YouTube, right? Robert's Rules of Order. I went to YouTube. There's videos on there. Susan Leahy teaches Robert's Rules of Order. Any type of political activism or organizing or fundraising or knocking on doors or whatever it is, you can Google it and someone has done it and they've documented it and they'll teach you how to do it. Yeah, that's one thing about your work, Michael, that always strikes me is you always bring this up, this idea that there's really nothing holding people back from participating in this stuff except fear because all the information you need is available if you seek it out, either by Googling it like you did to find out a lot of the information you found out or by reaching out to people that have that information like Michael Pickens, like yourself and your organization. So, I mean, there is no reason that people can't get actively involved in politics if that's a course of action that they choose to pursue. Definitely. You know, I teach this in my full day seminars. It's all about empowerment, all about overcoming our fears. Fear is an acronym. Fantasized experiences appearing real. If you go speak in front of a chamber of commerce meeting or a city council meeting, there's no physical threat. There's no physical danger. People are worried about what other people are thinking, right? In America, the number one fear that Americans have is the fear of public speaking. Now, the second fear is death. Right. But are they really afraid of public speaking? No, they're not. They're afraid of what other people will think of them, the rejection that comes a part of it. But the reality is that there is no such thing. Every time we go and speak in front of a group of people, we're going to gain a little more experience. Right. If you ever played video games, I love using this analogy and I love using this in my life. When you have your character in a video game, you're going out on a mission or an adventure and every bad guy you kill, you gain experience points. And the more experience points you get, your character will level up. So we all start as a level one libertarian, right? This is the first time we're getting active or involved. And as we talk to people, as we learn the answers to the solutions, to the problems that we have, as we speak in public, as we fundraise, as we do all the things necessary, we're going to keep gaining skills and eventually we'll become level 100 libertarian masters. I love that analogy. Now, I, I mean, because unless you're some super genius, I mean, you can flip on, uh, you know, Super Mario Brothers, for example, and you can try <laughs> Try to beat that game, but unless you're an incredible uh, genius at this stuff, you're going to die. You're going to lose yep. lives throughout that process. You're going to get jumped on by some Koopa Troopas, but you can learn from that experience and you get to go back the next day and try again. And it's the same exact thing in the political realm. You can fail. You're going to fail. You almost have to fail to learn what you need to know to move forward and eventually win. Man, we just had a failure this weekend at the convention. <laughs> I love that you bring this up before I do. That means I don't need to pry a damn thing out of you. You can just go no. on your own. <laughs> no, this is the thing. I was brought on two weeks before the convention to help manage Larry Sharp's campaign for vice president. Now, William Weld won by 0.5% of the vote. Considering he was a two-term governor and Gary Johnson was a two-term governor. Tons and of Larry experience points. <laughs> And Larry Sharp was pretty much unknown to the Libertarian Party going into this, and we almost won. That is huge. But I learned what to do next time. I've never ran a campaign like this, you know, a vice presidential campaign to the delegates at the national convention. Man, my first two national conventions, I was just partying and meeting people. This one, this was work. 
It was nonstop shaking hands and building rapport to where we almost won. So why don't you tell us a bit about Larry Sharp? Because, I mean, looking back, I watched him at the convention this past weekend, and I was really impressed by him. But I kind of regret that I didn't know much about him very well prior to the convention. I had not really heard of him a couple weeks beforehand, and I, I didn't have the opportunity to get to speak with him on the show before the convention. I, I kind of wish I did. In my mind, maybe I could have gotten him that 0.05% he needed, but he was so <laughs> impressive, honestly. I mean, between the debate, between his passionate speeches, I mean, the guy is an incredible communicator. And to me, and this was evidenced by the events of the convention, convention, he really seems like somebody who can unite people who are pragmatists in the sense that they want certain qualities out of a candidate to present to the public, but he can also sort of unite the people that want to stick to principle. And when we saw that this weekend, when you saw people just dropping out, Derek Grayson, you saw drop out, Will Coley drop out, they both set their support to Sharp because they saw him as being more principled, principled enough for them. And that's really a quality that's really tough for a, a libertarian, I think, especially politician to have someone that can really satisfy everybody across the board. So as far as libertarian communicators, I see Larry as the best libertarian communicator that I've ever met and ever encountered. Uh, He's been in the party for four years, but I didn't meet him until a year ago. He was doing the keynote speech and the fundraising speech at the Libertarian Party of Colorado convention where I was a speaker at as well. That's when I first got introduced to Larry. And then since then, you know, I learned more about him. I actually went to his website, neo-sage.com. I've watched all of his sales training, his leadership training videos, right? His personal development training videos that he has on his website. And then he started coming out with his libertarian communication videos, which are just amazing. The way that he can communicate. So I'm a pragmatic, radical libertarian, right? Step in the right direction libertarian. That's what Larry is as well. He can communicate radical ideas in a way that's not going to offend people or turn off grandma or soccer moms or anything like that. And so can you give us a little, maybe a little inside baseball about actually what went on during that vice presidential vote? Because we had Gary Johnson, who didn't make it on the first ballot, almost did. And then on the second ballot, obviously, there was some sort of politicking that went on in between that to get to uh, be named the nominee. And then he kind of came up there and instead of really giving a passionate acceptance speech, he gave a impassioned plea for a begging, you might even call it, for people to give him William Weld. The argument being that without him, we can't get into polls. Without him, we can't get into debates. I don't know how much I want William Weld representing me in a debate, but that's a different story. But I mean, that's basically what we're told. So what kind of influence did Gary Johnson's speech have on the delegates? And and I think quickly after that speech, there became a real divide between pro-Weld people and just anti-Weld people, which was divided among Sharp supporters, Dern supporters, uh, Coley supporters, even uh, Grayson supporters to an extent. Sure. So Gary Johnson said up there that, and this was the rumor that was going around, that if Sharp were to get the nomination, there's no way he can fundraise. There's no way he can get media, which they were just lies pretty much. We had three interviews scheduled already if Sharp got the nomination. Fox and Friends was one of them. You know, he would have been able to do that. But it is what it is. Right. So what happened? Was that sort of a line that the Johnson campaign was using on delegates to say, look, you know, you can't vote for this guy because he's not going to be able to get the attention that only Bill Weld can get. Was that basically the the argument used to push Weld? Yeah, that was the line. That was the line to tell you what, man, if we had a couple more months of planning for this campaign, we would have easily won it. You know, we were working hard before the convention even started, but we only had two weeks. Larry was making the phone calls. I was making phone calls, doing everything we could in the short amount of time that we had. But Larry has connections as well. He is going to be fundraising. 
He is going to be doing media, even though he didn't get the nomination. We're still going to be pushing it out there. He's got a run for 2018 governor in New York that we're kind of focusing on right now. So we're just going to prove. Is that an officially announced run or is that just, I mean, is he publicly said he's going to run for governor? Yeah, he publicly right. said he's running for governor. He's going for it, man. I love it. Yeah. So the thing is, right now, William Weld got the vice presidential nomination. It is what it is. We're not taking our ball and going home. We're doubling down. We're working even harder. I fly out at 4 a.m. in the morning to Chicago to do a full day libertarian leadership seminar. We're working on our full schedule over the next six months. Larry took six months off his business, off his job. He's got this lined up. And you know what? Even though he didn't get the nomination, we're just going to pretend he did and we're going to kick ass. And one thing Gary Johnson has said kind of in the lead up to that vote is that he didn't want to be, you know, spend his campaign debating with his vice presidential candidate. That was another reason he wanted Weld. He just wanted this this sort of unified front. Do you have any thoughts on what a Johnson Sharp campaign might have actually looked like since we were very close to getting that? And and Larry has spoken very highly of Gary Johnson, so I have no reason to believe that there would be a contentious relationship there at all. But Johnson seemed to really push the idea that without Weld, this thing was over. And I mean, Alicia Dern even mentioned that she was told by who I don't know that polling companies would not put libertarians into the polls unless it was specifically William Weld, which seems just like a crazy thing for anybody to say. And I, I don't even know what kind of truth there could be to that. But but that, that seems to be the line out there. So, I mean, what kind of, I guess, campaign, what might we have seen with Larry Sharp as VP? Yeah. So as far as Gary Johnson and Larry Sharp, Larry came into the Libertarian Party in 2012 because of Gary Johnson, when he heard about Gary Johnson. If you listen to Larry's speech at the end after he didn't win and his endorsement of Gary Johnson, building him up. He's always spoken very highly of Gary Johnson. I doubt that there would be any debate between Gary and Larry throughout the uh, campaign. It even sounds good. Gary and Larry. Yeah, Gary and Larry. We should have used that one. There you go. So I don't think there'd be any type of fighting going on between Larry and Gary if he would have got the nomination. Larry did the fundraising talk at the banquet. He was able to raise $105,000 that night, you know, and he talked very highly of Gary. And we're actually looking to help the Gary Johnson campaign. Larry may fly into a couple events and edify him and then close for the fundraising at the events. So I think it's going to be a good relationship going forward. We have six months to get the best election results we ever had. And that's what we're going to focus on. I'm working on the slides right now for my training to be able to promote the Gary Johnson 2016 campaign, to train activists, to be able to do that, to bring new activists on board and to get them educated on the true principle and the philosophy of libertarianism. So we're moving forward regardless. Yeah, exactly, Mike. I mean, you've made no secret that you're not in love with the idea of a Gary Johnson well top of the ticket, but that doesn't mean, oh, well, I guess screw it. I mean, you you can't advance liberty now. If anything, it means you double down your efforts on the candidates you really do like. And and there are so many libertarian candidates out there that need support. And that's exactly what you're providing with your leadership, with your training and with your seminars. So why don't you break down a little bit more? What exactly goes on in these seminars you give and how can people kind of get involved? What are people going to take from them? So the seminar itself, it's a seven-hour seminar, and the one thing that people really take from them is empowerment. They feel empowered to go out and do whatever they choose to do. I don't tell anyone what to do. I don't tell anyone how to act. I give them permission to learn new skills. I give them permission to take risks and to make mistakes and to fail, right? But a mistake and a failure 
is only a mistake and a failure if we don't learn from it. If we learn from it, it becomes a lesson and we go out there and we make it happen. When I recruit candidates to run for office, I tell them they better run and commit to running for a minimum of three times because the first time they run for office, that's where they're building the foundation, right? They're laying the concrete on that Liberty House that they're building. So they're learning the skills necessary. They're starting to do some public speaking and they're going to mess up along the way. Right. They're starting to learn how to fundraise. They're building their volunteer team. They're building their website. And then the next time they run, they have all that foundational experience in place. I don't know if you met any of our candidates from Washington that showed up at the convention, but they're all on their second runs. If you heard their speeches on C-SPAN, they were all polished. They were all kick ass public speakers. They did a very good job and they've, they've been working on this for two years now. So they have two years of experience now coming into their second campaign. So we're very excited excited to see what happens. Sure. And up there in Washington, I mean, you guys have a pretty good, I mean, I don't know of, of the stats compared to other states, but you guys have a pretty impressive showing of libertarian candidates. And I believe you have a few libertarian elected candidates. Is that right? Yeah. So in 2012, we had no candidate, no libertarians on the ballot here except for Gary Johnson. Right. And that was a mistake that we made. We focused on the Johnson campaign. We didn't focus on recruiting local candidates. So in 2014, I recruited 12 local candidates. However, along the process, the state executive committee that was in place told me to stop recruiting candidates. And then they tried to convince the executive committee of the Libertarian Party. Libertarian Party of Washington. They told you to stop recruiting candidates. Yeah, they, what, they told what, me to stop. What could be the then, possible logic behind that? <laughs> because they said that we didn't have the resources to support them. And they actually tried to convince some of our candidates to drop out. And we pretty much said, screw you. And we recruited a super majority for our convention that year. And we voted every single one of them out one year into their two-year terms. Wow. Replaced all of them. That year, 2014, we had some of the best election results in the entire country. Four of our candidates got over 30 percent of the vote. We won five precincts and a county that year. That's huge for libertarians, for people that are seen as completely unelectable, for people that are seen as nothing more than a fringy protest vote at best. Yep, it is huge. And then last year, we had 15 candidates at the local level, five of which got elected. So that right there, it was nonpartisan, though, so they didn't have a label next to their name, Libertarian. But we still figured out how to win elections. So do they run as independents then? No, it's uh, local races here in Washington are nonpartisan. Okay. So no one has any label whatsoever. Do you think that that might actually help the Libertarians in a way because they don't have that preconceived notion attached to them? Because we know so many people have sort of false ideas about what Libertarians are or what Libertarians you know, stand for. So maybe just to not even have that there uh, gives them a little bit of freedom to just you know speak their positions without that sort of uh, maybe a possible albatross hanging around their neck. Definitely. We found that the average person really just doesn't know what a Libertarian is or has a skewed version of what a Libertarian is. So not having that label definitely helped us. And then coming into this year, we have 32 candidates on the ballot all across the state. Now, these are all partisan races. So we're working hard to get these campaigns going. We've got people hanging up rack cards right now, getting media. There's just we're making a lot more progress. And if that old guard was still in charge, you would have what? Still zero candidates? <laughs> yeah. Yeah. Before that, 2011, 2012, there was no candidates. So we've really changed things with the whole the lion mentality that if we want to win, we have to go out there and we have to get the hyenas. Right. We've got to take action. If we just sit here and bitch amongst ourselves, we're never going to get anywhere. 
It's almost like that uh, back to the porcupine analogy. The uh, the state people in charge at the time kind of wanted to be porcupines. They wanted to sit there, maybe keep their spikes up if anyone came over, but pretty much just sit there and wait for something to happen. And you said, uh, 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 we're going to be lions. We got to go out there into the jungle and get our food. Exactly. That's the point. We've got to get our food. And what is our food in politics? It's political profit. I talk about this in my first book. It's votes. It's volunteers. It's fundraising dollars. Right. It's media connections. That is our food. It is our food indeed, Mike. And we're going to talk a little bit more about running as a libertarian candidate. But first, I need to take some time out to tell everyone about our great sponsors at Health Excellence Select. Now, I'm a freelancer and I purchased my own health insurance and I was hit by some serious sticker shock after the implementation of Obamacare. My premiums and deductibles were skyrocketing. And as someone who keeps myself pretty healthy, I knew that I was getting a raw deal for a product I simply didn't want. This caused me to seek an alternative and I found an amazing alternative in the form of health sharing, a killer concept where healthy individuals agree to share their medical costs. That's right. It's a voluntary free market system for paying for your health care that also, thanks to an exemption, covers the Obamacare mandate. Our friends at Health Excellence Select have kicked it up a notch by creating a full service package to handle all of your health care needs. Trust me, I'm not just a proponent of health sharing. I'm also a client. This has been one of the greatest things I've ever done to leave the Obamacare system in favor of what our friends at Health Excellence Select are doing. To learn more, head over to lionsofliberty.com slash health. And don't hesitate to give my man Jeff Cantor a call at 440-283-684. Four, nine. Be sure to mention Lions of Liberty. All right, Michael. So now for anybody out there that might be considering, you know, running as a libertarian, running for office. I mean, well, first of all, what are the, I guess some of the most basic qualities you would look for a person? You, I know you, you said you've been out there recruiting people. So when you're actually recruiting someone to be a libertarian candidate, what's what are the qualities you're looking for kind of at the most basic level? There's two main qualities. One is the willing to learn and grow. Two is the willingness to take action. So there's a line in my training that I give over and over and over again throughout the day, throughout the seven hours. It is, I am better today than I was yesterday, but I'm not as good as I will be tomorrow because of the actions I take. So as long as people commit to constant and continual improvement of themselves in every aspect of their life, uh, not just you know political stuff, but personal relationships, right? Uh, What we do in our spare time. What do we want to be remembered for? Do we want to be remembered for our long stints on the couch or for the positive actions we've taken to protect our futures and our children's futures and our grandchildren's futures? And I believe that most people fall into the second category. They just need to be reminded. What would you say to people that might say, I mean, yeah, Mike, great. You do some work with libertarian candidates. You get a few people elected. But so what? What is it really going to make a difference? Is one libertarian candidate up in Washington going to actually make a difference in the grand scheme of things? So what kind of impact do these local libertarian candidates actually have once they're elected? Sure. And I have a great example. Don Myers, he's 26 years old. He got elected to Moses Lake City Council by 16 votes. Since he's been elected, he was able to legalize chickens in the city of Moses Lake. Right. I'm sorry. I'm laughing at the idea that chickens even needed to be legalized in the first place. 
Yeah, yeah, I know, I know. And then uh, he's helping with some business owners downtown because they put a moratorium on cannabis stores downtown Moses Lake. He's got a couple other issues. But the most important thing right now is he's recruiting two other candidates to run in 2017 for Moses Lake City Council. And if those two guys get elected, guess what? We have a majority on the city council. We have a libertarian city. Wow, that's really impressive. So, I mean, with all this kind of hype around the presidential campaign around not just Johnson well, but the presidential race in general, that's where everybody's focused on. I mean, everywhere you go, people are talking about Trump and Hillary. So how do you sort of start to get people's minds off that top of the ticket and have them actually start thinking about local candidates? Because when I talk to people about politics, nobody knows a damn thing about their local candidates. At best, they're going to show up at the booth on voting day. And if they were going to vote for Hillary, they're probably just going to go check down those D's or check down those R's. So how do you get people to consider checking down those L's? Well, this is the thing, man. There's a three-pronged strategy that we use here in Washington State for our campaigns, and I teach this during my seminars, right? The first thing you have to do is go out in the community and shake some hands. This is exactly what Larry did at the convention. He was shaking hands, right? This is exactly what our other candidates do. They go out and they shake hands and they build relationships and they find common ground with, you know, members of the Chamber of Commerce, community service organizations, at city council meetings, with people who have influence If one of these guys were to post on Facebook that they're going to vote for Mark Clare for city council, there's a hundred friends on there that say, oh, well, if he's voting for Mark Clare, I'm going to vote for Mark Clare. Right. So the relationship aspect of it. The second thing we do is we make sure we get our libertarian propaganda on every single door in the district. We've got rack cards that we print up. We hole punch them with rubber bands and we can hang those things around mailboxes. We can hang them around doorknobs or garage doors or whatever we need to do to get that out there. And the pieces, the marketing pieces that we use are not meant to sell people on what we are or who we are. They're meant to get people interested, right? Just to pique their interest. So they'll go to our website. So watch our videos. They'll look us up. That's the second aspect. The third aspect is we start building relationships with media connections. So writers in newspaper. You find out who's your political writer in the area. You call them up, you send them an email and you ask them to go to coffee and you sit down with them. You shake their hand and you ask them about their family. You ask them about what their hobbies are. You start building a friendship, right? And if they like you, then they're going to include you in your articles. If they see that you're a good person, they're going to include you in your articles. Otherwise, they just think, oh, who's this libertarian crazy person on the ballot? They don't even know until you shake their hand and they get to know you and to like you and to trust you, which is what I learned as president of Business Networking International. People do business with you. If they know you, they like you and trust you. Well, I just applied this to politics. People are going to vote for you if they know you, they like you, and they trust you, right? Right. And I mean, in many ways, that's one of Gary Johnson's best qualities is if nothing else, Everyone says he's a great, nice guy. You know, I've found nobody that has said anything other than wonderful things about Gary Johnson, the person. And just that ability to come across that way, I'm sure, has helped him leaps and bounds to achieve the undeniable political success that he's achieved, at least within the Libertarian Party. He's become the nominee twice without knowing that much about libertarianism. So there's got to be another factor in there. And and I got to think his personality is one of them. You know what? I agree with you 100 percent. I remember meeting Gary Johnson for the first time in 2011 at Freedom Fest. And he was just a really nice guy, very likable guy. And I liked him right away. And I still support him 100 percent. You know, seeing him interact with people, he's very non-threatening and he's very humble as well. And he's got a great personality that way. You know, and that is one of the big advantages to having Gary. I did not pick a side in the presidential race. I 
actually saw you on Facebook once say that you were considering giving a speech for none of the above. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, that was just a joke. I but figured it no. was a joke, but but one based in some amount of truth. <laughs> Give a speech for all of the above. All right, they all have go. their pluses, right? They all have the things that I really like. Daryl Perry was all about principle, right? John McAfee added adventure, right, and excitement to the race. Austin Peterson, he had that fire based in principle, and he was a great orator, a great speaker. And then Gary Johnson came with the credibility, right, and the personality that really got people to like him. I've seen a lot of people say, if only we could kind of do like a emerging something of these four or five of these candidates, like Feldman's ability to inspire people and rap with, you know, Austin's ability, their social media ability and ability to speak with Perry's principle, with Johnson's experience, with McAfee's coolness. Now you got the perfect candidate. Oh, definitely. Yeah. But they don't let us run five guys, unfortunately. Yeah, no, (laughs) only two. But hey, man, we have such a bright future. We have six months and I'm going to put this out here. We have six months to work as hard as we can, help the local candidates out, help the presidential ticket out. And then in November, this is what everyone needs to do. They need to take a break. They need to take a break from politics and recharge. This is what we do every year in Washington state, which I see a lot of people make the mistake because they don't do it. In November after the election, you know, have a dinner, invite your candidates there, thank everyone for being a part of the campaign, and then take a break. November, December, family time, right? Going into January, in the middle of January, just start picking it back up again. So basically no retail politics from November, December into January. And then in February, start doing the Liberty on the Rocks event, start getting everyone excited again, because 2017, this is our local races. Our convention here in Washington in 2017, the theme is going to be Libertarian City. We're going to try to get as many Libertarian City Council members elected as humanly possible all across the state of Washington. And I think everyone should be doing this. Just getting prepped for it, getting ready for it, because I want to see multiple Libertarian cities. And it, it can't happen in one election cycle because they stagger city council elections every two years, usually a four year term. And every two years, half of the seats are up and the next two years, the other half of the seats are up. So with Don Myers, for example, now we actually have an opportunity to have a libertarian city, the first libertarian city in the country. Mike, one thing I'm wondering, I know you received a little pushback, like you mentioned, when you first joined the party, especially when you come into Washington State saying, I want to do all these things. I want to run all these candidates. And this old guard is sitting there saying, no, no, we don't want you to do that. But obviously you overcame that and you've achieved tremendous success in Washington. I'm curious if you've received any pushback on the national level for any reason, on the way you've just kind of come in here and are sort of taking charge and trying to push people in a certain direction. Is there anybody that has, I mean, not not asking you to name names if there is, but is there any sort of pushback? saying, hey, chill out, buddy. I don't know. You might, you're might you kind of going overboard here. I, I don't like the way you're going about this. Have you had anything like that? You know, I've had a little pushback for the most part. Even the Gary Johnson and Weld supporters that I know, they knew me already. And I've encouraged them, even though they supported Weld, I encouraged them to keep doing what they believe is the right thing. Right. And that's what our seminars are all about. I don't push people in one direction or another. I empower them to follow their own heart and to move in the direction that they're choosing to move in life. With activists that come on board, I don't tell them they have to go knock on doors. I tell them, here's a list of things that need to be done. You pick the one that you want to learn and put you know, 110% into learning it. 
go after what it is you want. But I do remember when I first came on board, I was called a libertarian infiltrator or a Republican infiltrator, excuse me. And I didn't get the nomination. I didn't win the chair position in California. That's okay. When people go up against you, Instead of fighting them, just keep doing what you're doing and recruit more people. The solution to pollution is dilution. We recruited a super majority for our convention here. The Libertarian Party of Washington was used to having around 40 people show up to convention. In 2014, we had 120 people show up. We just kept recruiting. Hey, if you think your idea is better than our idea, prove it. I think that's a great message, Michael, because look, I've been not shy in any way about my uh, general dislike for the Johnson Weld ticket. We talked about it in multiple episodes of this program last week. Uh, But at the same time, how do you respond to that? Do you go, ah, Johnson and Weld, they're tyrants. Screw liberty. I'm out of here. Or do you double your efforts and explain why you think things should be different and then fight towards that? And personally, I know here at Lions of Liberty, we're more fired up than ever because we see all this sort of attention being paid to libertarians, attention being paid to the Libertarian Party. Maybe we didn't like this one outcome, but that doesn't mean you take your ball and go home. It means you roar louder. You roar way louder so that everyone in this jungle hears your message. And that's how you change things. You know what, Mark? I have not taken a break since the convention. I flew in at 1 a.m. in the morning, and I have not stopped. This is the thing. I've been making phone calls. We've got to get behind the Johnson campaign, or if you don't want to get behind the Johnson campaign, get behind your local candidates. But I'm going to tell you what right now. There is going to be thousands, tens of thousands, maybe hundreds of thousands of new libertarian activists coming into the party. Let's do our best to educate them on what libertarianism is, what it actually means. Let's build relationships and friendships. So in 2020, we have the dream ticket, the ticket that we really want. And we can't do that by stopping. That won't happen by stopping. It'll only happen by doubling down. Well, Michael, I think I can pretty confidently say that you use the term libertarian lion justifiably and you embody that term. And I'm very happy to have you as a fellow lion of liberty, in a sense. Before I let you go, why don't you just give everybody the roundup of how they can find more about libertarian leadership, how they can find one of your seminars. And I believe you're working on another book throughout this election season. So you feel free to plug that as well and anything else you got going on. Definitely. So anyone can go to uh, libertarianleadership.org. If you put in your information on my sign-up form, you're going to get a free digital copy of my book, Libertarian Leadership. You can learn about the live seminars on the live seminar tab or the live workshop tab. Uh, We're also going to be coming out with our online interactive training, the Libertarian Leadership Academy. That's all in the works right now. The software is being built out for that. So there's a lot of great things coming. I'm all about sharing the knowledge and information that I've gained over the past five years working as a volunteer inside the Libertarian Party, sharing it with as many people as possible to empower as many libertarians as possible so we can win some elections and we can fix our freaking country. Michael Pickens, the Libertarian Lion. Keep up the great work, man, and keep on roaring. Thank you very much for having me, Mark. You have a great day. All right, guys, I hope you enjoyed my conversation today with Michael Pickens, the Libertarian Lion, a guy who has been on the ground kicking ass and taking names. And those names he's taking are the names of all of the great Libertarian candidates, not just in Washington State, but across the country. People who are running for local office. We've become so obsessed with presidential elections in this country. Understandably so, because it's the highest office you can hold. It's plastered all over the media. 
that sometimes we can lose track of the smaller picture, which really represents the bigger picture, because the bigger picture are all the localities across the country, all the cities, all the towns, all the counties, all the states. That's where influence is really going to be had at the end of the day on the local level, whether it's just talking to your neighbors or whether it's convincing those neighbors to actually go out and vote for you because they actually agree with you on some things when you actually get to sit down and speak to them. That's the kind of thing we need to do, whether we're talking about politics or not, whether we're talking about conversations at the bar or conversations at a political convention. We need to keep pushing forward with these ideas. We can't get frustrated as much as we are going to get frustrated, but we can't get frustrated to the point of withdrawing when one little thing doesn't go our way. Now, if you're somebody out there like me who wasn't really thrilled with the Gary Johnson William Weld ticket, well, there's a couple things we can do. We can spend all our time bashing them, and believe me, I'm going to criticize them. We're going to criticize them here on Lions of Liberty when it's appropriate, just as we criticize Rand Paul when it was appropriate. And when it's appropriate, we're going to praise them. Because that's the way you actually make change. You can't just bombastically be angry at everything anyone says or does. You have to actually look at things in a nuanced and specific way. Now, if you want to criticize Bill Weld or Gary Johnson, and like I said, we're going to do it here, let's do it for the right reasons. Let's do it because of specific things they say, specific actions they take. But let's not lose sight of the big picture. That's just one aspect of spreading ideas through politics. There are people all across this country running for office as libertarians, doing their best to spread ideas, doing their best to lay the groundwork for true political change in this country. And Michael Pickens and many others like him are out there trying to help them and trying to give the training and the confidence for people to empower themselves to run for office and to create change in their own way. And that's not going to be everybody's path. I don't know if that will ever be my path. Right now, my path is doing this podcast and trying to reach people out there, trying to create this platform for myself and my fellow Lions of Liberty to spread the ideas that we hold so dear. But whatever your path is, pursue it and don't pursue it like a porcupine sitting there just hoping no one comes along. And if they do, well, maybe you'll poke them away. But you're still just going to sit there. No, no, no. We have to be lions. We have to roar for liberty. No one listens to the porcupine. They listen to that lion. (laughs) Believe you me, the whole jungle listens to the lion because he roars the loudest. And that's what we have to keep doing for liberty in whatever platform we may choose to do so. And guys, if you enjoy roaring with us, if you want to roar with us, you can do so in many ways. One of which is by joining our private group on Facebook. That's the Lions of Liberty Forum. Just type Lions of Liberty Forum in your Facebook search bar and it should come right up. Give us a request to join. And as long as you look like you're some sort of libertarian-ish person and not just a spam bot, we'll get you right in there and you can join the conversation with us. If you support our show, if you love what you're hearing here on this program, I implore you to please do us a big favor. And that is A, to share the show with a friend. Just one friend. That's all I'm asking. It might be a liberty-minded friend. It might be a not-so-liberty-minded friend because I really feel that people of all ilks can gain value from the conversations that we had in this program. Send it to a friend. Share it on your social media. Share it on your Twitter. You can find us on Twitter, at Lions of Liberty. Find us on our main Facebook page, facebook.com slash Lions of Liberty, from where you can share all of our podcasts. I'd also ask you to please leave us a five-star rating on iTunes, on Stitcher Radio, on whatever platforms you listen to, and hit that subscribe button and leave us a great review. These are just some small steps you can take to help grow this program and help us advance these conversations about the ideas of liberty. Now, this coming Wednesday, 
I'm going to play an interview I did with Gavin Wax, editor-in-chief of the Liberty Conservative. This is another discussion, just like my conversation last week with Dave Smith, that we recorded a little bit before the National Convention. And again, listening back, I just listened yesterday. It's actually really interesting to hear our thoughts and comments about the Libertarian candidates, especially looking back on what's actually happened and a lot of the chatter that's gone on this end. So look forward to that this coming Wednesday. And of course, on Friday... Once again, we've got Felony Friday, John Odermatt's weekly look at the broken criminal justice system. There are just so many ways you can roar with us here three days a week, Monday, Wednesday, and Friday here at Lions of Liberty. We hope you'll be along for the ride. Until next time, folks, live long and live free.